Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I was born for this, right? To a degree, sometimes when we find out exactly what we're supposed to do in life and we start doing it, it feels like, wow, what was I doing all the rest of the time when I should have been doing this in the first place? We just spent 31 weeks in a sermon series called The Story, going from beginning to end of the Bible, and we did it, I think, as, as fast as we possibly could. At times, it felt like a race and like we were being doused in a fire hose. And so this next sermon series, we're just going to do three weeks, and we're going to focus on one story, the story of Nehemiah, the story that he tells us about his life and what he was doing. Because Nehemiah was a slave, he was a conquered and captured man living far away from his home. Not where he was supposed to be living, not doing what he was supposed to be doing. I mean, he was just there. To a degree, I mean, he must have been broken having grown up in exile, having never really seen the land that he loved, the land that he knew. And so if we're going to have a theme verse over the next three weeks for our series, it comes from Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18, when he says, I told them that the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. The good work. We talked a little bit about Nehemiah in our 31-week sermon series. We spent one week, and, and it's a pretty significant story because Nehemiah was not a prophet. He was not a priest. He was not a pastor. He wasn't a warrior or a king. He was a cupbearer. He served the king because in 586 B.C., Almost 600 years before Jesus was born, God had allowed the Israelites to be conquered because of their sin. He allowed foreign armies to sweep in and destroy the nation, to tear down its walls, to tear down the buildings in the city, to even tear down the temple itself. And then those same armies that came in and ravaged them carried them away to cities spread around their territory. And Nehemiah was one of those who were carried off into exile, and, and he was one of those who were favored by God and found a position of goodness and strength, of trust and loyalty. It was not an accident that Nehemiah ended in the place that he was because he was seen as being somebody worthy of trust. Because you've got to imagine, if you are the cupbearer to the king, you're probably party to some of the most private conversations the king has had with the queen. Because they're thirsty, and they're a king and a queen, so they're not going to pour their own beverage. You're going to pour it for them. And when the king meets with his military councils, they're thirsty. And they're not going to pour their own beverage because they're the king and the general, so you're going to pour their beverage. Meeting with all of the, the strategists, all of the people who would come for the king's counsel and wisdom, he would be there. He would be trusted. He would be honored. 
And Nehemiah is living this life of, of real luxury, sitting at the king's side, serving the king. And even though he's in exile, and even though he's a conquered person, he is living the good life. But then God calls him to do his good work. One of his brothers had been visiting Jerusalem. One of his brothers had taken the multi-week trip back to Jerusalem to see just what had become of the exiles who remained, some of whom had been sent back to try to, to re-go and reconstruct the city. And his brother reported to him, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And so there's something very significant because the Israelites who had gone back to Jerusalem have no protection. They have no plan and they have no hope. And so when we think about what God wants us to do in our lives, how do you begin the good work? Like there is something that God has for you to do because he has saved you, because he's called you by his Holy Spirit and shown you the death of his son and the resurrection of Jesus that cleanses you from all of your sins. Because of this freedom that you have, that you've been given by God, he calls you to do what he does, to act as part of his salvation for the world. And so we see in Nehemiah's story a little bit of a guideline for us. The first way, the first thing you do to begin the good work is you sit down to cry. I mean, really, what is it in your life right now that moves you? What is it about the injustice and the brokenness in our world that shatters you? It could be any number of things. Yesterday, dozens of men and women got together on a golf course of all places. Not to cry, although maybe sometimes to cry. I don't think we really cried in the Holy Cross group yesterday. No crying yesterday. They did okay, as I observed. But they got together because of the injustice of abortion. That the lives we should protect most are, are sacrificed. And maybe it's that, but maybe it's, it's something else. Maybe it's, it's poverty in the world, or maybe it's hunger in the world. But whatever it is, allow God to work through the emotions that he's given you. The passion that he's given you, the love that he's given you. When Nehemiah heard these words, he tells us, I sat down and wept for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The first thing he does is he sits down to cry. He is, he is broken. He is broken. The next thing he does is that he kneels down to pray. I heard a pastor say this once. He says, what you pray about reflects what you believe about God. So what is the content of your prayers and for what are you asking? 
Jesus, when he encourages us to pray, encourages us to pray the will of God. And the will of God for our lives is that we might be heralds of his love and his grace for other people so that we might not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy, but that we might lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves cannot come in and steal, and that we might spend that eternity with God and with others that we've shared God's love with. Listen to Nehemiah's prayer. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Like, this is a great intro to prayer. And then in the next few verses, Nehemiah confesses the sins of the entire nation. Lord, you know why we're here. You know what's going on. And then he confesses his own sins and the sins of his family. He says, Lord, you even know that we're not perfect either. That I'm not perfect. That that my family's not perfect. And he says, oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayers of all of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah is praying for the specific circumstance that he is about to enter. Nehemiah knows what God has put on his heart that he is going to speak to the king and it terrifies him. He had already already been afraid of being found in the king's presence as one who weeps and mourns. I mean, this this is something that is abjectly terrifying. But after Nehemiah is done sitting down and crying, after Nehemiah is finished kneeling and praying, Nehemiah stands up and acts. And and really, I think this shouts very loudly to us that we as Christians should not stop at thoughts and prayers. Certainly, we offer them and we give them because we know God is the one who can act to change the hearts and minds of the people living in this world. But don't stop at thoughts and prayers. Do something. And the king recognizes Nehemiah is broken, recognizes that that Nehemiah is sad, and then he he says to Nehemiah, what what are you requesting? What What are you asking me to do? I'm the king. You know that. I can do whatever I want to do, so tell me what you want me to do. And Nehemiah's instant response is to pray more. Right? He prays before he goes to the king. He prays in the, in the immediate moment after the king asks him what to do. We see all throughout the text of Nehemiah that he tells us repeatedly, I am praying all the time. In the beginning, in the middle, and in the end, his whole life is dedicated to prayer because he knows that he has to talk to the one who can really do something about it. Certainly he's talking to the king and the king thinks that he's in control, thinks he's in power, thinks he's, he's the almighty. But Nehemiah knows the almighty and he prays to the true almighty. And so he says to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. 
Now, something interesting about this journey that Nehemiah is about to go on is that he needs a lot of help to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. He needs a lot of help to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem. This is not something that he can do alone, right? This is a a group project in the truest sense of the word, and not the group project that you did in high school when you were the one doing all of the work for the group project and no one else did any of the work for the group project. I mean, he needs everyone. And we're going to see how he enlists everyone who's there and delegates and assigns duties and does the work. He didn't finish it alone. He didn't do it alone. But it didn't happen until he started it. When his brother gave him the report of what was happening in the city of Jerusalem, the walls were broken down, the temple was destroyed, and the city was ravaged by invaders. And when we finish our sermon series in three weeks, we're going to see that the people are protected, God's name is praised, and we see eternally the love that God has for his people Because Nehemiah did three things. He sits down to cry, he kneels down to pray, and he stands up and he acts. You see, the good work is constructive. It's not destructive. If you're wondering what God is calling you to do in your life, look at the way that you can add good to the world. Because when God created everything in the garden... When he created day by day, it was always good. So look for the good that you can bring to the world. It's creative. It's also redemptive because the way that God created things is the way that he's going to remake them. He's not just going to leave us in a broken world with broken bodies and broken relationships. He's going to redeem the world. He's going to restore the world. He's going to restore our bodies and our relationships, and it's going to be perfect. And all of these things are from God. Because Jesus' work enables our work. We could not bring any good into the world apart from Christ. Apart from Jesus himself, we have nothing to offer. And so our work, what God calls us to do, each one of us, individually, me as a pastor, you as an engineer, you as a teacher, you who are retired, you who are working in the hospital, you who are children full of joy and love, we are called to do that complementary work to Jesus. Because I'll be honest, there's a lot more joy in this room because children are making noise than if we were silent. That's for real. Like, that is a joyful noise. Like, you can't help but feel infectious. No, let him go. Yes! Like, do you feel it? Do you feel what he's doing to you? I mean, do you feel the joy that he's just, like, he is launching it. He is, like, he is shoveling it over all of you. This is... If we don't have this, we don't have Jesus, right? This is it. 
And this is the, this is the work that, that God said that he's preparing us for. In Jesus himself, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. And then Thomas, Thomas is like, whoa, Jesus, time out. Maybe you told us, but I forget. Lord, we do not know the way to where you're going. How can, we, how can we get there? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through, through me. Nehemiah wants to restore the city. And it is a good work that God has called him to do in his life. Jesus wants to restore all things. Nehemiah's work is a part of Jesus' work because as Nehemiah restores the city, it's part of Jesus restoring all things. What is the good work that God has called you to do? When Nehemiah is called to do his work, he cries, he prays, and he acts. When Jesus is sent to do his good work, Jesus cries, Jesus prays, and Jesus acts. When Jesus sees death in the world, when Jesus sees one of his closest friends die, and he, and he knows what that means to the, to the ones who loved him, Jesus weeps. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. It's the one you could memorize right now before you leave church this morning. Jesus wept. And then we see that when Jesus is about to go and do that ultimate act, dying on the cross for you and me, we see that Jesus kneels down to pray. And he asks, he asks us to pray alongside of him. He brings his three closest disciples and he says, guys, keep watch for me while I pray. And then Jesus kneels down in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays, sweating blood. Because he is so overcome with the with the job that he is about to do. And he says, Father, if there's any other way that we could do this and it's not this way, let's do it that way. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. God's will be done. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he tells us, pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then Jesus stands up and he acts and he goes to the cross. You were separated from God, living in a body full of sin and death, just like the city of Jerusalem, broken down by invaders. The devil ravaged your body and left it in ruins, and Jesus comes and he acts the writer of Hebrews tells us, how do we get into the heavenly city? How do we get into this place that Jesus is preparing us for us? He says, we've been sanctified, made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then he compares the former temple with our temple. He says every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which never take away sins. And then he says this, but when Christ had offered for all time 
a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time that his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. You see, for by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. In a single act, God, through Christ's death and resurrection, restores you. Jesus' action provides us access to the holy city where God will not dwell apart from us, but he will dwell among us. And Revelation gives us an idea of what those walls look like. In chapter 21, John, the follower of Jesus who had fallen asleep while he was praying, is taken up into heaven to see what is being prepared for that day when we will rise. And he looked at the city of Jerusalem and he says this, he says, it had a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the 12 gates, 12 angels, and on the gates were the names of the 12 tribes of Israel who were inscribed. And on the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. We build on their testimony. What they have received from God, John tells us, we have shared with you so that you might know Jesus is the Christ and that by knowing you might have life in his name. That same writer of Hebrews who told us we enter into the city by the holy sacrifice of Jesus, he says this just a few sentences later. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. God is faithful. He will finish what he started. The good work is your salvation. And in Christ Jesus, it is finished. And we are excited because he's invited you and me to join him in the good work so that others might know And others might believe. Our theme verse, we said they strengthened their hands for the good work. It's my prayer that God would strengthen our hands for the good work he calls every single one of us to do. Amen.